This week, there have been important developments to the ongoing power struggle between Apple and the FBI. First, a judge ruled that Apple has to help the federal government hack into an iPhone owned by one of the shooters who opened fire at a San Bernardino holiday party last December. Then, Apple released an open letter explaining why they think that's a really bad idea. On today's show, we start off by talking to associate editor Eric Limer about what that means for you and what settings to choose on your iPhone to keep your information as safe as possible, no matter what happens. After that, we talk to Shane Hobel, founder of Mountain Scout Survival School, about Popular Mechanics' annual survival issue and what to do to be prepared for anything in your own hometown. We also play a game of Office Survivor and test out a brand new Robin phone, which never runs out of storage. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. We have a very special guest on our podcast this week, uh, Associate Editor Eric Limer, who has been following the Apple and FBI battle that's going on right now. Can you explain kind of what's going on? So basically, one of the shooters uh, at San Bernardino had an iPhone, um, and that iPhone has data on it that the FBI has a warrant to. So they have been uh, given permission by a court to go look at that data. The problem is that they can't actually see the data because it's encrypted, right? The data on this iPhone was protected by a password, and so they can't see the data without the password. And so the FBI is attempting to force Apple, by way of a ruling from a judge, to help them get this data by creating a way to bypass the security. And Apple doesn't want to do that because if they help the FBI bypass the security on this one particular phone, they have to come up with a way to do it that will work on all phones. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask, actually, is is this something that's unique to this San Bernardino shooter's phone, or does the encryption just happen for everybody? Or It used to be something that you had to opt into, but it actually started becoming a really huge deal for law enforcement, I think, a year ago, two years ago, because iPhones started encrypting data by default. So if you go out and get a new iPhone today and uh, you set it up and you, you put in a passcode, it uses that code to encrypt all the data on your phone. And even if somebody asks Apple to give them that data, they can't because th- the data is locked to that password. Now, there are ways that they could go and and work around that, but they've purposefully not done that so that security is secure. And that's what the FBI is kind of asking them to do now is to get around that. Right. I mean, essentially, the way you get around it is you just keep guessing over and over and over and over and over again until you get the right password. Okay. And to keep that from happening, Apple has a security feature on there that is if you guess wrong like 20, 25 times, the phone will delete itself to try to prevent exactly that sort of thing from happening. There are thousands and thousands of combinations, right? Um, so what the FBI wants them to do is is trying to get Apple to write a new version of their operating system where that safeguard isn't in place so that they can go ahead and just keep guessing until they crack it. Right. And then anybody could use that. Right. Right. Yeah. The FBI could theoretically use that on any phone or somebody else could also exploit that same loophole. Right. Scary. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, you said that this automatically happens when you get a phone. You're talking about like you put, your, you put in your four-digit passcode or your thumbprint or anything like that. It's good to go. Is there any setting that would make your phone safer? Is there anything that we should be doing to make sure that we're maximally safe? So encryption like that is by default on iPhones, and it's not necessarily like that on Android phones. Okay. So if you have an Android phone instead of an iPhone, sometimes it'll do about the Android phones really differ a lot based on who's making them with 
Apple, it's very simple because Apple makes all iPhones. So if you have an Android phone, it's worth going to your settings menu and looking at like uh, the security thing. Sometimes it'll have been encrypted if you set up a passcode, but other times it'll ask you if you want to encrypt by setting up a special encryption passcode. And you should do that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. If you're using a, a thumbprint, so you don't really have to put in your password or passcode that often. So it's smart to use a long, sophisticated password. So that'll make it more difficult for somebody to brute force it or guess their way through it. Okay. What about uh, any anything for app-specific or just keeping your phone safe? Anything? Yeah. So a lot of apps will have optional security settings to like put a second password on them, specifically apps that have to do with money. So like it's worth going through and looking at like your banking apps or uh, apps like Venmo or Google Wallet. A lot of them will have options to have a another separate pin. So you need to enter that pin in order to either open the app or sometimes you can open the app, but you need to put that pin in before you can move any money around. Right. So that's a little bit of added security so that if somebody does wind up with your phone and they have access to everything they it can do, at least they can't like move your money around. Right. That's actually something that's really scared me about Venmo, which I use quite a bit. I don't have a password on it right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, neither do I. Right. Yeah. Well, do, do as we say, not as we do, yeah. clearly. Um, but maybe I'll do that after this. What, so what would you do? You just go into settings? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it differs from iOS or Android. So with Android, there should be some sort of setting menu inside the app. But with iOS, you can just go to the, the main settings menu and look down and there will be a list of apps that are currently installed. Basically, like I said before, pretty much anything that has to do with money will have some sort of additional settings um, if it's worth its salt. Right. And if it doesn't and you're using bootleg banking app, uh, maybe go get yeah, a better it's, one. Yeah, it's a good, good <laughs> idea to maybe think twice about how much convenience you're getting for the risk you might be running. We're back in our testing table today, and Alex George is here with a really blue phone. What is the deal with your blue phone? Crazy, right? This color. You've never seen this color. This is the uh, Nextbit Robin phone. So it's like a Robin's egg blue. It's made out of this kind of matte plastic, whereas every other phone is made out of this kind of uh, aluminum or glass or something like that. Some people say it feels like a toy a little bit. It does feel kind of like a toy. But it's, it's cool because it's not Samsung. It's not an HTC. It's this own company that's just out of San Francisco that's just making a phone. I asked the guy, and he's like, yeah, after all this consumer focus group testing, we eventually came around to just using this. Do they offer it in any other color? Yeah, there's like a super boring straight black one. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, for the unadventurous. So the idea is it's a couple of guys who worked at Google, specifically their Android division. The guy who designed it was from HTC who... Yeah, their phones, the insides were okay, but the actual outsides were really pretty. He's one of the guys who made this phone. So it's um, 32 gigs, 400 bucks, runs Android. The main idea behind it that makes it different is it has this built-in cloud storage, automatic storage capability. So what that means is when the phone runs out of its 32 gigs of storage, it's constantly logging the apps and data that you use the least. And so when you eventually run out of room, it'll put all that data into the cloud you get 100 gigabytes of it when you buy the phone. Oh, wait. So doesn't iPhone kind of do this as well? Like iOS, they they upload your stuff to the cloud, right? Yes, but even it's 
no one's quite figured it out, and it's still kind of tricky. So, and but that's basically the idea: is if you've ever taken a picture and you've gotten that message where it says "out of room" or whatever. Constantly, I had an iPhone with like eight gigs on it because I'm stupid and could like I went on vacation and just it would be like, "Can I take this picture?" And I'd be like, "No." Right, and then you have to delete pictures of your you know children or whatever. Yeah, it's terrible. Sorry. Oh my god. It's this. The idea is that you don't have to deal with that. But I'm confused about how it works. It uploads the photos. It uploads your photos, and then you can't access them from your phone anymore easily, or you can? You can, but it uses data, or you need to have Wi-Fi. And oh, so I getting them okay. back. And But it, it's got these different parts of it that make it so it does that kind of intuitively. So if you're writing an email and you want to attach an old photo, so you'll have a visual representation of that photo, but it won't actually be on the phone. It'll be stored in... Like a you know, tiny little thumbnail is all that's stored on the phone. Right. And okay. a, Or specifically what it does is it'll keep a lower resolution version of it, that you know will look good if you want to upload it, social media or whatever, but it'll keep the full resolution one on the cloud storage space that you have. That seems like a good idea. So you're so it's kind of like uh, is it kind of like when Spotify you save songs on Spotify and then they're not on your phone and then they turn gray if you have no signal. Yeah, precisely. It's basically trying to intuit what you use the most. So if it sees you haven't played Angry Birds, Star Wars, or whatever in six months or so, and you run out of room, it'll store that next. If you want to keep, make sure that something stays on there, it'll, you can pin it to make sure that stays there forever. Do you think it's the way that phones are going to go? That, that's what's cool about it, is it seems like a demonstration of an inevitability. Like, we won't have to worry about local storage much longer, I don't think. Yeah. Not yet, but it signals something really cool, and uh, everyone loves the color. Yeah. It's a pretty color. Pretty color. Um, so we have with us Shane Hobel of Mountain Scout Survival, which is a survival school that does both urban and, uh, I guess, rustic survival skills. Wilderness. Wilderness. Okay, that's that's a much better better term. <laughs> What's a situation in which I would need to know something you'd teach in your urban survival class? You know, this is a very unique uh, genre of survival. This is a brand new genre of survival. Um, traditionally, it's the wilderness. Uh, shelter, water, fire, food, tracking, awareness, and movement. Underneath those seven arrows is all of your medicine making, your edibles, uh, tracking, your awareness skills, buckskin making, to the point where you're living, comfortable. The idea is not to be on this, the razor's edge of survival, but to be very, very comfortable. The idea of urban survival breaks down to five basic subjects. Communication options and protocols when your cell phone doesn't work or it doesn't work, it drops out, but the tech system still works. There are codes by which we teach that gives you and your loved ones a plan. There is go bags. That's a huge subject matter. There's actually five different types. Um, and then there's paths to travel and rendezvous points. Then there's available resources there or along the landscape. And then, of course, the last one is safety and security. Because when you look at these environments, you really have a choice. Should I stay or should I go? <laughs> the is, immortal words of the clash, that right? Is so cra- <laughs> that is so crazy that you say that. That was the theme of our survival package this year, which uh, is uh, out on newsstands now. But it's uh, stay or go, because it really, it makes, that's the first question you got to answer. And it really makes a difference it, whether you're going to live or not. It really does. You know, think about, you know, nobody here is going to work at the office, but along the way, they're swinging by Central Park and they're gathering their lunch along the paths and foraging and catching a squirrel and cook it on the rooftop. And I wouldn't say there's nobody. This is New York City. I bet somebody's doing that. Yeah, I mean, I might be guilty of that. But, uh, you know, the point is we, you know, we're attached to this convenience. You know, if we shut that down, um, you know, we have a bit of a situation here. The only sustainability we actually have is shelter 
and water, actually, even if the electricity goes out, still at the bottom of every building, there's a gravity feed valve. So you can still sustain a lot of people in that single vertical villages, which I call all the buildings here, Mm -hmm. Um, all of the water. It's still trapped in the building. It's potable. It's fine. And you can have a cooperative effort of having the young and able bringing up the gallons of water up to those who can't get down the stairs. So, okay, one of the big questions I have, I mean, I I think that I'm I'm generally fairly prepared for things. Uh, we're going to play some Office Survivor in awesome. a minute, so you'll really hear whether you know whether I'm prepared or, <laughs> or not. But my biggest question is always, you know, if I'm going to keep one thing on me at all times, or one thing on me when I go hiking, or one, a couple things. You hear paracord, you hear a knife, you hear a lighter. You hear, I mean, do you have to carry all of these things, or is there like one thing that mm. is just the thing to carry? You know, that's a great question. Having skills, learning how to make a fire traditional style without the use of matches and lighter makes having a lat- matches and lighter a luxury. Um, it's not a worry. Oh, I didn't get to my go bag. Not, not a problem. Right. I still know how to make a shelter. So, And then no one else is going to want to kill you when they find you because you're the guy that knows how to make fire. <laughs> right. I mean, that's important at the end of the world. Everyone's like, you know, should we eat that guy? Or, and you're like, don't eat me. I'm useful. Right. Use the guy. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If you're whining, there's no whining in survival. <laughs> I'm just going to lather you with honey and tie you to a tree and wait for the bear to eat you and then <laughs> eat the bear. But this environment is interesting. We are now dealing with... Uh, numerous threats and other, you know, intangibles, things that we're aware of, snowstorms, hurricanes, storms. We get plenty of notice. There is no reason why anybody should perish during those storms. Tornadoes, different story. Mm -hmm. Still working on that sort of thing. But in terms of earthquakes or disaster, um, terrorist attacks, these are things that are unforeseen. Uh, We have to be able to just respond when that happens. And so have your stuff. Get training. Go to a survival school have skills, bring others, involve your family and your community, because that's what it boils down to. Uh, so, so you said there are like 11 ways of making fire. Um, can you, is there one that's one or two that are easy enough that you could explain that maybe I can use it? Sure. Well, you know, in the urban environment, of course, everybody knows the steel wool and the, and the battery trick. Using okay. a nine volt battery, hit place on the steel wool and it just combusts. But you need to put it into some other form of tinder to get your fire going using the magnifying lens or a water bottle in the sunlight. Um, Out in the bush, you use ice with the sun and Mm -hmm. use that same example. There's the hand drill, which is a single stalk rubbing your hands up and down the stick. There is the old uh, pump drill using it. Um, Tom Hanks did the fire plow, a a very difficult form of making fire. Then there's the standard of the bow drill, which is most often demonstrated on television with the bow and the string and the Mm -hmm. stick moving it back and forth. Those are hard to make, though, those bows, aren't they? Actually, no. Uh, oh, we really? act- I actually run a fire class, and it's a separate class. It's a half day, and you walk in, I give you a knife, a log, and I teach you how to make those pieces, and you're making fire. Wow. Once you learn that skill, it'll stay with you because it teaches you the formula so that it translates to all the others. Teach a man to fish. Right. Except for teach a man to make fire. But then you can teach a man to fish, and then he can have like a roast fish, which sounds great. Out there in the bush, <laughs> fire is the cardinal four. Shelter, water, fire, food. Without those four... It doesn't matter what skills or stuff you have in your bag. You're not making it, period. Yeah. Well, um, I don't think I should take any more tips from you before we play our Office Survivor okay. game because then I'm going to get the unfair, an unfair advantage. So thank you so much for coming. Um, you're about to be our judge, so I'm going to get some more folks, and then we'll get going from there. Very excited. So now it's time for Office Survivor. We have with us Sean Manning, uh, the star of our Hangover episode. Hello. <laughs> we have uh, Peter Martin, our executive editor. Hi. 
And then we also have a special guest, Robin Tribble, who is our copy chief. Hello. All right. And then we also still have Shane here, who is going to be the judge. The Jeff Probst. <laughs> he's, he's the Jeff Probst of our office survivor. Um, okay. So I say that uh, Peter Barton should go first. And you're going to tell us why you think that you should survive and the rest of us shouldn't. But I think a lot of it is just who's going to freak out? Who's going to do something <laughs> stupid? And regardless of the circumstances or like who's going to get super hungry, I would probably die first because I would need food immediately. I eat like every 20 minutes at my desk. So I think if for an hour we had Peter to gets hungry. So he's already done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're pretty skinny. You don't have a lot of you don't have like a lot of reserves. But we've, we've talked about this before, that being skinny is a benefit because you guys would eat me last. Um, <laughs> we're already at cannibalism? Well, this isn't even like hour one. Not necessarily. You can also be bait, so you can go first. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we... Okay, let's say, let's say it's, it's pre, pre-cannibalism. Um, I, okay. My, I'm going to say that I would survive for a, a bit, but long term, I don't, I don't know. I know how to build a fire. In a way, I actually went to a survival uh, camp for my old job briefly, and I, they taught me how to use the platform and brace method to make a fire, which is like apparently some like sneaky wilderness way to do it. So, Can we get validation? Is that a good way? <laughs> oh, no. That's all my skills I had. Uh, you know, look, you have skills. When was the last time you did it? Uh, it was at a cabin upstate a year ago? Okay. <laughs> it was in a fire pit in the backyard. Outstanding. Okay. <laughs> With matches and a blowtorch. Oh, yeah. Well, there, was, there wasn't a blowtorch, but it was, you know, the long matches so I didn't have to get my hand too close. I think that I would would do well because as soon as things get really tough, I my whole sense of being kicks in and I'll do whatever it takes to kind of get from where I am to the next task. So I was just wondering if you want to comment on just maybe the psychological absolutely aspect. <laughs> yeah no that's that's probably one of the smartest answers it's staying prudent to Knew what <laughs> what i can do right now be proactive what i can do right now yeah something's going on but if you keep thinking about oh no something's going on i'm not doing anything for myself so yeah move to the next task that's the way to move through a disaster and Robin is also very no-nonsense and driven. I think the rest of us might sort of screw around and <laughs> joke about what was going to happen and why this happened when Robin's already over in the corner finding nuts and <laughs> plotting, plotting against the rest of us. That's yeah, uh, smart. Good for Robin. But. Well, I, I wouldn't want to leave anyone behind, though, or eat anyone, <laughs> if possible. So <laughs> I just want you to know I would... <laughs> <laughs> Not like you threw that option totally out the window. I no, <laughs> but I think that, that could be to, to your detriment, right? That's true. I think that I, like the only th- skill or uh, asset that I have, I think, is that I am pretty solitary. And uh, I, I can like be by myself and not really need human interaction. Uh, which I think in normal society makes me somewhat of a sociopath, but in the apocalypse, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a great benefit. So, but the idea of not wanting to leave people behind or having like a very close personal attachment to others, I don't know if that would be a Shane mm, looks doubtful. No, <laughs> you know, I hear that a lot. Like, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. Right. Carry my life on my back and you know, 800 rounds of ammunition right. and 14 guns, you know, and tuna fish can. Right. And there they're off, you know, but most of the time they're going to lose their stuff. They're not going to have their stuff. And nine times out of 10, they have no skills. Mm. So if you do this by yourself, 
Right. You, you just become land bait for something to come along and chew on you. But you really do need a group. And so safety in numbers would apply. Safety in numbers, right? but you know, if it's a detriment where somebody is creating a detriment and is putting the entire group in, at, at risk, yeah, that's the person I'm going to knock out and lather with honey and tie <laughs> to a tree and wait for the bear to eat. So I can eat the bear and make clothing and feed everybody else. Right. It sounds like this is your survival plan. It's just to kill off it really one of us. You know, one at a time, <laughs> make some clothing. But, you know, you're, you're right because the more skills you have, the swifter you can move. Yeah, I, right. I like that myself. Well, what, I was just curious, what is it, is more important, the mental toughness and acuity, or is it actual the practical physical skills of survival? What, like, what is yes. more important? Both. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. You know, skills will get, you know, get you from A to B. You make your shelter, you boil your water, you cook your food with the fire, signals and that kind of thing. Um, finding the edibles and medicinals, I mean, those are all skills. And if you don't have the mental toughness to move through that, well, who cares what kind of skills you have? You're just dealing, you're battling yourself. So should we decide in order which of us would go first? Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess. Well, because I mean, I think it's pretty clear who's winning. But uh, wh- what order? What order well, would we go? But we didn't point out, Jackie. You have a bum leg, so I think oh, that puts uh, you at the bottom. Uh, okay. 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 Uh, I have had surgery. I, my surgery went perfectly, and I can run. I also can swim. I was a competitive swimmer for many, many years. And according to Shane. We're all gonna fall off the island and then have to, have to swim for swim for it. So I think that's I got that going for me. Sean Sean is strong. I feel like that's a benefit for him. Also, I I, I think other the other thing. Well, this could be to, not a good thing, but I I am sort of um, let's see. Uh, I think I have rebellious sort of uh, anti group tendencies. So if I saw, this, if is, I, just, this is Sean's whole plan. <laughs> so if I saw like a group of people everybody. running in one direction, you're idiots. I think I would go the other way. Right. You know what I mean? So like, like everybody's talking about going, mm. jumping in, into the East River and swimming to Jersey. I I might go into the subway tunnels and go up north. I think Who that's, knows? That's the Hudson, I think. <laughs> well, 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 wherever. <laughs> right. I'm out. Oh, no, I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, I'm already disqualified. Sean wants to wander around in the subway system. <laughs> I don't get out of the river. city very often. <laughs> and then I will concede Jackie can have second place only because we have to continue to work together. I don't think it's true. But <laughs> so, so I'm willing to die third. Third. Uh, whatever, second. I'll die second. I don't think you get to choose when you're gonna die. I mean, this is—you don't get to concede <laughs> that you're gonna. I mean, what? I think you and I maybe, maybe we'll actually have to fight physically. What if, what if we let Robin, who will probably come down if she gets to kill one of us, Robin gets to pick which of us goes. Oh, that's a good idea, Robin. She what is company before she's the last one standing? Nobody's going if I can help it. <laughs> so Sean's out, and it's me, it's Peter and me and, and Robin together. <laughs> the way you just delivered that line. Yeah, I think so. Nobody is going Nobody if is I can Folks, if you could see what <laughs> I see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the answer is none of, us, none of us are living. This is fantastic. Robin, you're coming with me. <laughs> <laughs> fun. So that's our show. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jack Dillon. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, please leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think about what we're doing. 
And if you'd like to read more about the battle between Apple and the FBI, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. And you can read all our great articles. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening. Hey!